few weeks ago, we had our church leadership retreat. We had our staffs and spouses and, and about 40 people total, volunteer leaders came out for this leadership retreat. And, and as a staff, we got another organization, some friends of ours named Phoenix One to come in and lead us as leaders in this retreat. And they took us through several exercises during this retreat. And one of the exercises was this I am, you are exercise. And during the exercise, basically what we would do is this. We would write down on a note card, I am, and then just whatever we're feeling in that very moment, like I am busy or I am overwhelmed. Some people wrote, I am depressed. I mean, it got honest and real in this moment. Like, I am this right now in this moment. But then we would flip the card over and we would say, God, you are this in the midst of how I'm feeling. So if you said, I am overwhelmed, you would say, hey, God is in control. Even right now in the midst of me feeling overwhelmed, God is in control. If I am busy, God, you're sovereign, I can rest. So it says, I am, you are, and it was impactful. Like these couple days we did this, it got into the fields, people. Like salty residue was coming out of people's eyes, right? And so they were getting us, but on the last day, they said, actually, hey, we tricked you, which is not very nice to do at a retreat. But they said, hey, we tricked you. You're, you're not even supposed to start with I am. You're supposed to start with he is. And then out of who God is, then you determine who you are, and not just who you are, but how you are. It was one of those moments of like gasping, like, oh, yes, that's it. And here's the reality of the Bible is that's the way the Bible works. It doesn't, listen, I love you. The Bible doesn't start with you. It starts with God, right? It starts with who he is. But listen, you want it to be that way. Because when we start with who God is, we have the unique privilege as believers in Jesus to start with who God is, and then that begins to shape who we are and how we are, no matter what our circumstances in life. And so it's so significant that we start with who God is and then determine who we are. But it's not just significant that we do that, it's dangerous if we don't. You see, many times in our culture, even in the Christian church, what we will do is the starting point is not who God is, it's who we are. And here's what happens. We start molding a Jesus that fits our feelings. We start molding a Jesus because we start with ourselves and then we go to him. We start molding a Jesus that fits our culture. Like, what does our culture say in 2021? What's good? What should Jesus be like? And we start to mold our little Jesus in that way. We start to mold our little Jesus to conform to our political party. Instead of saying, this is who God is, this is who we are, we mold him out of who we are, how our culture is, a political party, what they say he is. And here's the danger of that. It's not just like, ultimately it's, hey, that's not the real Jesus, Right? That's the biggest danger. But it's also beyond that. It's that little Jesus that we have molded. He can't satisfy your deepest longings. He can't heal your very soul. You can like him. It can be comfortable Jesus, nice Jesus, Republican Jesus, Democratic Jesus, whatever your feels are that day, Jesus. And it can be comfortable to you, but he won't actually satisfy your deepest longings. We need Jesus to be who he is. And then out of that, that's our starting point. Out of that, it shapes who we are. Does this make sense? This is what we're going to do for seven weeks. We're going to talk about this. 
that Jesus is the starting point. The series is entitled, Jesus According to Jesus. We're going to learn not just about Jesus, but from Jesus about Jesus. You see, we have the unique privilege in the Bible, in the book of John, to see these seven I am statements directly from Jesus, where he describes himself, where he's the starting point, and we see who he is from himself, and then we get to see who we are and how we are based off that. So that's where we're headed uh, over the next seven weeks. This first statement, this I am statement is, I am the bread of life. It's found in John chapter six. If you haven't already, go to your Bible on your phone, a physical copy, and head to John chapter six, verse 25 through 35. We're gonna read this little section that includes this statement, and then we're gonna ask two questions and end with a statement. So that's where we're headed. John six, 25 through 35. Follow along with me as I read. It says this, when they found him on the other side of the sea, that's the Sea of Galilee, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. This is right after Jesus feeds the 5,000. Verse 27, he says, do not labor for the food that perishes or spoils, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. And then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? That's going to be funny to you in a moment. What work do you perform? Verse 31, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread. The bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, mic drop moment, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So we're going to ask two questions as we get started this morning. The first question, if you're taking notes, is this. It's why I am. Why does he say seven times in the Gospel of John, I am, I am. As I studied this, I just thought, honestly, like, why not I do or I give? Why I am? We have to go back to the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 3. We see Moses and the burning bush. All of you right now can, can picture that on a flannel graph somewhere, right? Or you can picture it in a movie that you've seen. Moses and the burning bush. And what was happening there was God was calling Moses to go deliver the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. And Moses is having this supernatural interaction. He's being called to do something that seems impossible for Moses. And so he wants to know hey, God, who should I tell him sent me? And God in that moment just says, I am who I am. And he says, tell him, I am sent you. Which is profound, but also frustrating, right? I mean, just picture Moses, like he's looking for some authority to come with and he's looking for a description of God. He's looking for some adjectives after I am. But God says, no, 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 you just tell him I am. No adjectives are needed. Again, this is the first time that God shares his name in the Bible, but it's also the first mic drop moment in the Bible. God is just saying, hey, I am. 
I am self-existing. I am self-sufficient. I have no beginning. I have no end. I am utterly independent. I exist as God. Before I ever do anything, I'm God just in my very character and nature. And you tell them that's who sent you. So it's no mistake that Jesus seven times says, I am. Jesus, born in a manger, walking the earth doing these miracles, teaching people. He says, I am the same God in Exodus 3. And this is important because at this moment, earlier in John chapter 6 and before, the day before, we see Jesus fed the 5,000 with one kid's Lunchable. It was five barley loaves, which were more like crackers and two fish. And, and he fed, and there was leftovers. And, and most scholars believe it wasn't just 5,000 people because it said 5,000 men. So it was probably like 10 to 15,000 men, women, and kids. And so Jesus has done his largest public miracle right before this. And he has a crowd. And he has people following him. Earlier in John chapter 6, it says people were trying to grab him and force him to be king. And so Jesus strategically says, no, 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 don't you understand? Before I ever do anything, before I ever fed the 15,000, before I ever do another miracle, I am God. Just like God was in Exodus 3, that's, you're looking at him. Colossians 1, the image of the invisible God, the one who's before all things and in him all things hold together, not because of what he does, but because of who he is. A radically profound statement. Jesus says, I am, I am, I am. He wants to make it abundantly clear who he is and what he's like. And so as we look at all these statements, we have to start with this statement of I am, and we have to understand Jesus is the starting point. He is simply self-sufficient. He is the starting point. Then we come after that and see who we are in light of him. And as I read this, and as I was convicted personally in my own life, I just thought, how many times am I the starting point in my life and not Jesus? How many times is our culture the starting point in my life and not Jesus? How many times are my kids the starting point in my life and not Jesus? And I just wonder for you, how many times in your life do you start with you instead of starting with Jesus, the great I am? How many times, listen, if you're new to church, if this is your first Sunday, how many times do you look for a church and you start with you instead of Jesus? You need to think through as you look for a church, as you listen to a podcast, as you read a devotional, where are they starting? Are they starting with you or are they starting with Jesus? If they start with you, that may feel good for a moment, but it won't satisfy you for a lifetime. You'll be left wanting, trust me. And so it's so important that Jesus makes it clear. I am, I'm the starting point. So if we're not starting there, then we need to start again. And so as we start this series, where are you starting? With a political party? You molding Jesus out of that? With your feelings, you molding Jesus depending on the day? With your kids? With your spouse? With how many likes you got on social media? Does that inform and affect who you see Jesus to be? Or is it Jesus, I am, is informing all of life out of that? 
So the first question we have to ask is, why I am? The second question we need to ask is, why bread? Remember, Jesus had just fed the 5,000, maybe 10,000, 15,000, with two fish and five barley loaves. It was a cracker-like bread. But that's not the only time that we see bread in the Bible. In fact, this moment that Jesus is having this discourse, this conversation, it's during Passover, which is also called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So he's having this conversation about bread in the midst of a feast about bread. He just fed the five to 10 to 15,000 people with bread, but it goes even deeper than that. That in the Old Testament, there was times where people brought bread as part of their sacrifice of praise unto God. There were times in the temple where there would be bread set aside to remind people of God's provision and presence. See, bread, you think we love bread? They loved bread back then, right? They, it was common. It was significant in all of their lives. And guess why this is important? Why bread? Is because Jesus knows that. You see, Jesus is a masterful preacher. And he uses illustrations in a masterful way to show us something bigger. You see, as a preacher, I know there is an art to illustrations, you see, some illustrations can be distracting, but the really good ones are unveiling. Like some illustrations will leave you talking about the illustration, right? Like last week, I planted ryegrass in my yard, and I told you guys about that really excited nerd dad moment. I love ryegrass. By the way, it's growing abundantly in my yard. I'll send you a picture later. But if you walked away thinking like, well, ryegrass, like I, maybe I still have time to plant ryegrass. Like why is ryegrass such a big deal? He seemed really excited about it. Is he just a nerd or is it really that soft? And if you walked away just thinking about the ryegrass and the wintergrass, that was a distracting illustration, not an unveiling one. And hopefully you didn't just get distracted by it, but maybe you did because here's the reality. I'm not, I know this is gonna be hard for you to hear. I'm not as good of a preacher as Jesus Christ. He uses illustrations way better than I ever could. So his illustrations, they're not distracting, they're unveiling. Do you see the difference? He uses bread because he knows everybody in the audience. It's common, it's significant to all. And I'm going to unveil something that's, that's greater than just bread. I'm the bread of life. And so he's using this discourse to say that, right? To say that, hey, you hunger for some things, but there's something, there's a deeper longing that's going to need to fill your soul. Bread's not enough. And we see that they don't really get that, right? They're, they're, they're tracking along with Jesus, but they're like, they think he's talking about physical bread. Look at verse 25 and 26. The people basically say like, Jesus, when did you get here? Like, where have you been? And Jesus calls them out immediately and says, hey, you're not looking for me. You're looking for the bread. You want more bread. Like you already ate that bread. It's all gone. Now you want more bread. So you're looking for me for that reason. In verses 27 through 31, Jesus says, hey, you don't want just that bread. It perishes. It spoils. You want an everlasting bread. But they don't get it. They say, yes, Jesus, what kind of work do we need to do to get this never-ending bread? Like they're picturing Olive Garden. 
like never ending baskets. You want more bread? You want more bread? And they're just like, hey, if we follow this guy around and we do the work required, maybe he'll just be our never ending supply of bread. And again, you got to remember, bread was common and very significant for them. To them, that meant, okay, we have somebody to provide for us. Maybe we don't have to worry about where we're going to eat our next meal or forever in life. And we don't have to work for that. We can just receive it from this guy because he's got never ending bread. And so they still think he's talking about bread. And, and Jesus says, hey, God has already done the work. You just believe in the one whom he sent. And I love this. They say, Jesus, how are we supposed to know you're God? Can you give us a sign? Remember what just happened. The largest public miracle by Jesus, where he feeds probably 15,000 people with a lunchable, and they say, I don't know about this, Jesus. Can we get another sign? And Jesus graciously responds. But they say, hey, here's an idea for a sign. I mean, we're just this is off the top of our head. Like, why don't you, I know it's about bread. Why don't you just rain down bread from heaven? They wanted their bread. You think you love bread. They love bread, right? And so Jesus is like, no, you're still not getting it. In verse 33 through 35, Jesus says, hey, this bread did come down from heaven like it already came, and it's not a commodity that you receive, like that I give you. It is me, like I am the bread of life. So you want bread to fall down from heaven. I did that. I'm the son of God, the image of the invisible God. I was born in a manger, but that was not my beginning. I have existed from all, all time, and you're talking to me right now. That's the bread that's come down from heaven. That's the everlasting bread that will give you true life. It's greater than this loaf that you want. And as I, I read that, I thought, man, as Jesus tries to convince these people, there's something greater than bread. You need to have a deeper hunger than just bread. I thought, man, I'm so glad this was just their problem in the first century. I'm so glad that we don't struggle with this today. If you're new, that's called sarcasm. <laughs> the reality is we hunger for all sorts of things instead of Jesus, the true bread of life, right? I mean, for, for some of us, maybe it is actual bread because you're on a low-carb diet. And I keep talking about bread, bread, bread. And you're like, yes, I could use some bread. I never knew how much I loved bread until my late 30s, until I started trying to go low-carb. Right? For some of you, it may be actual bread or actual food. You're hungry and you think, man, throughout a day, if I just counted the times I wanted food, I longed for food over and above Jesus, like it would be a lot. And for some of you, it's actually food and it's actually bread. But for some of you, it's something totally different. It's something like family. It's not a bad thing, but it's not a God thing either. And if you're honest, if you just think about the times that you worry about your kids in a day, the times you envision your kids scoring the soccer goal or getting the scholarship. Like hypothetically, people do this. I don't. But other parents, the times where you hunger after the success of your kids and you veil it with like, well, no, I just, I want them to be successful. I just want them to thrive in life and not get picked on. But the reality is, no, no, no. You are trying to satisfy a deep longing in your own soul with your kids. The, the snotty-nosed ones, the ones who yell out at dinner like, that's where you're trying to satisfy your deepest longing. That's your greatest hunger is your kids. 
Not a bad thing, but it's not a God thing. It's not going to satisfy. And Jesus wants to let you know, just like he wanted to let them know, hey, bread is not bad. It's just not enough. It's not going to fill your deepest longings. And you can kind of craft Jesus of like, you're going to give me bread all day, every day. You're going to do these things. You can mold Jesus out of that. Hey, you're going to make my kids successful more than I ever was. Hey, you're going to bring me finances. Hey, I'm going to get that house. Hey, I'm going to get this career. Hey, we're going to get that president. And you can mold Jesus in all these little ways. But at the end of the day, he's trying to tell you, you can do those things, but they will not satisfy your deepest longings. You will be left wanting. You need the bread of life. But how many times do we prioritize over and above Jesus? Bread, food, family, finances, success, politics, over and above Jesus, and we are, we're left wanting. See, what I love about Jesus is he doesn't deny that we have physical needs. He just fed 15,000 people with bread. He wants you to have bread. He wants you to have kids that are flourishing. He wants you to have a great family. He wants you to have finances to provide for your family. He wants you to vote and have a political party. He just doesn't want you to place those things in priority over himself because they will never fill your soul. He's a good God. You seek him first, and all these things will be then added unto you. So you're thinking, Tim, well, I got to give up everything, go out in the wilderness and fast and share Jesus with people. And my kids, like, just, you guys are distracting me from Jesus and just get out of here. I don't want to see you. No, no, no. Be nice to your kids. Love your kids. Go to their soccer games. Don't worship them. Don't hunger after them. Allow the deepest hunger in your soul be for Jesus and Jesus alone. And he's talking to a group of people who, they're not in that place. And I believe he's talking to a group of people today. We're not in that place. That there's some other hungers that have overcome the hunger for Jesus in our lives. And this is not new. Not only was this in the Old Testament, New Testament, this is today. We see it with Bieber fever. For the, for the older people in the room, Justin Bieber is a singer, nice fella, right? He's got a whole song about this, of how this plays out. Like, I'm not going to sing it for you, so everybody calm down, right? But the song's called Together. You can look it up, like look up the clean version. But he talks about, hey, when I was 18, I had all these girls, I had everything I wanted, but yet I was deprived and depressed, Maybe Justin Bieber doesn't do it for you, so let's go back a little bit to the great theologian of the 1990s, Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey has this famous quote. He says, hey, I wish everybody could get rich and famous so that they would see it's not enough. So you don't even need John to preach this to you, Jesus to preach this to you. Our culture preaches this to us every day, every decade, that if you hunger for things, Instead of God, if you start with things instead of God, you will be left wanting. C.S. Lewis says it this way. Hey, the problem is not that your appetite's too great. It's too weak. You want some things that are ultimately not going to fill you or satisfy you. You need to want greater things, eternal things, spiritual things, not just physical things. So why bread? It's because Jesus right now in this moment, by the power of his spirit, he wants to call you on your low, weak appetite for lesser things. And he wants to point you to greater things that he is the bread of life. Amen? So we need to think about 
our priorities, the importance we place on things. Where's your time, talent, and treasure going? Is it going towards Jesus, your starting point, the bread of life, the one who will ultimately fulfill you, or is it going to something lesser? Where, where are you at with that right now? Why I am, why bread? Here's our last thing. It's a statement. We're gonna do this every sermon of the series. Jesus according to Jesus. What is Jesus telling us about himself? It's this, that Jesus alone satisfies fully, freely, and finally. Jesus alone satisfies fully, freely, and finally. He says it this way, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Did you notice where we get the bread of life? Is it from what Jesus gives us? No, it's Jesus himself. See, the people around him, they're asking him, okay, Jesus, we want this never-ending supply of bread. Like, how do we get it? What work do we need to do? And Jesus says simply, God's already done the work. You simply believe in the one he sent. You believe in the manna that came down from heaven, the bread of life. That's me. You're looking at him right now. You come to me. You believe in me. It's almost too simple for them, and it's almost too simple for us. You see, Jesus is addressing the harsh reality, not just that we hunger after things that are different from Jesus, it's that we hunger after things that Jesus gives us instead of himself. And so he makes abundantly clear, you come to me. It's not a commodity that I can give you. It's my personhood. It's my presence. You come to me, you believe in me. See, over and over in the Bible, the, the people in the book of Exodus, the people that this crowd of people that they quote and say, Jesus, yeah, why don't you rain down manna from heaven? It's ironic that they would reference that because that wasn't Israel's greatest day. They were unhappy with God after he'd rescued them out of slavery for 400 years, delivered them, gave them life, called them his people. And yet they're, they're grumbling. If you know the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 16, they're grumbling saying, hey, maybe we should go back. Maybe we should go back to slavery because at least we got food there. And so God rains down manna from heaven. See, since the very beginning, we've looked not just to God himself to satisfy us, but what he can give us. And I believe in the American church, in the Christian church, and maybe even at Phoenix Bible Church, and maybe with me and not just you, that I do this all the time. Jesus, I'll follow you, but I want health, wealth, and prosperity. Jesus, I'll follow you, but my marriage has got to get right. If you'll fix my marriage, I'll do anything for you. I mean, Jesus, like, I'll give money to the church if you first, first provide that promotion. I mean, Jesus, yes, my kids are precious. They're sweet, but sinful, but mostly sweet, and I want you to bless them. And if you'll just bless me with great kids, then I'll follow you, then I'll take them to church, then I'll give everything up for you. And the harsh reality that Jesus is bringing us to, say sometimes we want the benefits and the blessings Jesus gives instead of Jesus himself. And we see that as we read on in John chapter six, some people grumble at this. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. Eternal forgiveness is available to you. My presence, there's fullness of joy available to you. That's what it means. I'm the bread of life. You come to me, you'll never be uh, wanting again. And some people 
grumble at that and say, does this guy think he's God? Some people dispute that and say, is he, is he talking about we should eat his flesh? And just like today, there's no nuance and people don't understand illustrations. And so there's people that are disputing. There's people that are grumbling. But there's also people in this passage who, verse 66, it says, many disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. You see, just like today, I could tell you, hey, follow Jesus and everything will be all right. Hey, follow Jesus and you will get that great family. You will get that great house. Follow Jesus and that anxiety you've been struggling with, gone in a second. Finances, oh, plentiful is coming your way in the name of Jesus. The best is yet to come. I could preach that message. Churches preach that message and it would draw a bigger crowd. Nobody would turn away because we'd all say, I want that. Yes, Jesus, give us bread, more bread, more bread. And you would come and follow. And just like in Jesus' day, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to tell you what Jesus said. It's not about the benefits and blessings he can give you. It's about Jesus himself. And some of you are going to hear that and leave and not come back. But it's true. And listen, it's not just true. It's for your best interest. Because for a while, you may hear that. It may tickle the ears. Oh, Jesus is going to give me stuff. I'm going to stick around for that. But those things, this is what he's trying to say. Those things will make you feel wanting. Like Justin Bieber, Jim Carrey, preaching the gospel. It's not enough. So why not today? Let's recognize today we need Jesus, amen? Not something else from our culture, not a political party, not your feelings. We need Jesus himself, not even what he gives us. We need him because he's the son of God, the great I am. We need him and our longings and our souls can be filled in him. And we don't have to be frustrated we don't have to be teased with these other things. We can just experience being made right with God through Jesus Christ by believing in him. Peace with God. Eternity with God. A tearless, sinless, deathless presence with the God of the universe, the one who hung the stars in the skies. Anybody want that kind of God? That's in him. Before he ever does anything, that's in him. Do you see that? Do you know that God? Do you know the bread of life? You see, I think for a lot of us, if we were just honest this morning and we're chasing some other things in our culture, we're hungry for some other things in our culture, but we're also hungry for some things that God gives us more than him and himself. And right now, God has appointed you to be here to repent from that, to just confess that honestly. God, I, I want your things more than I want you. And to recaptive, like reignite this hunger for God, the one who knows you fully but still loves you. He wants you to be hungry for him because he wants to fill you. God is good, amen? He wants to fill you. He doesn't want you to be frustrated with these lesser things. He wants to give you himself. How do we do it, God? How do we work for it? Oh, you just believe. You just receive it. I've already done the work. You just receive it. 
And that's how we get to respond today. I love the best response in this passage is his core disciples, his true followers. They say this, as other people start to turn away because they wanted Jesus' things, not Jesus himself. His core followers say, Jesus, where else would we go? You have eternal life and we have come to know you and believe in you. Oh God, may that be our response today. Where else would we go? But Jesus Christ himself, that would fill you. That kind of prayer would change you, amen? Let's pray that together. Father in heaven, we do just ask that you would fill us. God, help us to to know that you are all we need. That if we didn't believe that when we sang it earlier, that now we would believe it, we would confess it, we would cry out that that is true. And God, I just pray right now for the men and women in this room where they would just say, it's not true for me right now. I think if we asked everybody to raise a hand, there would be a lot of hands go up that just said, I don't know if Jesus is fulfilling me right now. I don't know if I'm looking to him above everything else. I don't know if, if I said what I'm hungry for, it'd be, be Jesus himself. And God, right now, I just pray that we would confess that that these people would stop listening to me. They would start talking to you and not go another moment pursuing these lesser things instead of you. And God, I pray right now for the men and women who may be in this room or even watching online, who if they were to confess, they would just say, man, I don't know that Jesus. I'm not being filled by that Jesus because I don't know that Jesus. That if they were honest, they would just say, hey, I've molded a Jesus in light of my religious experience, my political party, my feelings, our culture, and I don't know who Jesus really is. I've never given him my sin and given him my life. If that's you this morning, I would just, right now, everybody's head is bowed and everybody's eyes closed. I would just ask you to start talking to Jesus and and tell him, Jesus, you're all I need. Would you just tell him that? If you don't know him today, would you just tell him, say, Jesus, you're all I need. You can say that silently. You can yell it. Jesus, you're all I need. And then just say this, Jesus, I give you my sin and I give you my life. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for filling me. And if you just prayed that, listen, you can be satisfied in Jesus. You can declare and celebrate that he's all you need because you have him. So we have people in the back right now they would love to talk with you. If you did just pray that, they'd love to, to have you celebrate today. Again, we have clothes for you, towels. All the excuses are out the window. What if you just today stepped forward in boldness and said, hey, Jesus is all I need. And I just declared that, and I wanna walk with some other people in that. I want that to be true, not just on a Sunday, but on a Monday. And the way to do that is, man, we would just invite you to walk back. There's people at both corners of the room with lanyards on. They would just love to talk with you and pray with you, answer any questions that you may have. You can do that now. You can do that at any point in the service. Don't miss the fulfillment that Jesus offers in his very self. He's offering it to you. Will you receive it? God, we thank you that that is true. I pray that that's true for all of us before we leave today. Move in this place. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.